everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Let's talk about mitts, baby. And I am your host, Liv. I am here today with a really, I mean, I suppose it's just got a bonus bit that makes it a very different style of conversation episode. I sat down with Joe Goodkin, who is a musician who is basically a modern Homeric bard. He has written like full albums worth of songs dedicated to the Iliad and the Odyssey. And they are fascinating and beautiful and emotional and stunningly beautiful work. Joe and I talked about Homer broadly. I mean, Homer as a person, as a concept. We talked about the Iliad and the Odyssey, the Odyssey in a little more detail because how could we not? We talked about learning ancient Greek and just generally the classics as a as a field of study, as a thing that we both interact with and have made our careers out of in a way that isn't academia and what that brings to the table when it comes to classics. Honestly, it was a really great conversation. It was just really fun. And then at the end, Joe performs one of his songs, which I mean, 
is just utterly beautiful. Um, so absolutely, you want to listen to this episode, especially to the song at the end. It's just stunning. Conversations, singing the blues of Achilles, the modern Homeric bard, Joe Goodkin. So you describe yourself as a a modern Homeric bard, right? Yeah. 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 That's so fun. So how did you get into that? Because that's so wild. Yeah, it is wild. Um, I I guess I was a, a musician first, uh, you know, going back to I started playing guitar when I was in grade school and being in bands in high school, sort of more conventionally. And um, and then when I got to college, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, sort of on a on a whim. I took some ancient Greek my first semester there for my language requirement. And I took it because... I had seen some Greek words in a, in a book in high school and, that had been left like untranslated. And I thought mm. that was incredibly pretentious, but also in, incredibly <laughs> interesting. And, you know, the script, you, you know, you know this, it's like almost like magic symbols or something. You see it and it's it's beautiful and it's mysterious. And so I thought I wasn't enamored with any of the languages I really took before that in high school. And I thought I'll give it a shot. And it just sort of lit my brain on fire, this ancient Greek class. And by my second semester, I was taking Greek myth and I was taking Greek archaeology. And I was suddenly had this like uh, interconnected world that was becoming clear to me. And, you know, my language class was connecting to my myth class, to my archaeology class. And then I then I was a classics major <laughs> after that. Uh, and so I majored in classics and really, really, you know, ancient Greek was the thing that that, that I loved more than than anything, although I, I liked all the other stuff, too. So I got a chance to read Homer uh, in Greek, uh, the Iliad first, actually, and then some of the Odyssey. And so I graduated with a classics degree and I still wanted to be a musician. And I thought, well, maybe I can combine the two into one completely unemployable uh, <laughs> job, which is modern bard. I just basically thought I could replicate something of this ori- the original uh, song performance of these poems in sort of a modern musical idiom. And I didn't really start it maybe the same way it worked with your podcast. I didn't start it thinking this would eventually become a big part of my job. I just thought maybe this would be something cool I can do. And it turned into something I liked. And then it turned into something I did largely for for high school audiences and then for college audiences. And now like 18 years after I wrote the first one or 19 years or almost 20, actually, uh, I added a second performance piece based on the Iliad called The Blues of Achilles. And Mm -hmm. it's something that when we're not in the pandemic, I do probably 50 to 60 times a year. And even in the pandemic, I was able to do a bunch of virtual shows. Like it actually translated pretty well into all these classrooms that had become virtual. So mm-hmm. like a lot of things in life, you just chase weird little things that are interesting. And the, the but the language piece was really like my window into the classics was, was ancient Greek. It really, mm-hmm. really did it for me. It sounds so similar to how I became a classics major, which is yeah. just that I liked Greek myth. So I did it as a minor alongside my English major. And then as soon as I was in like my first class, it was like, oh, I'm just going to take all electives in this anyway. So why am I not doing a double major? Yeah. 
yeah, it's just and then English connects so what much because you have to read all the really old stuff, you know, for good or bad. Like there, definitely we should be reading newer stuff in English degrees. But yeah. everything you know from three hundred years ago is just referencing Greek myth half yeah. the time anyway. You, you get you get allusion and and you get reception and you get you get uh, tradition. You know, all all it connects and suddenly. You're you're better at being an English major because of your classical background, I'm sure. Exactly. I do wish I had taken ancient Greek though, so I'm jealous of that being any kind of starting point. I'm working on it now, but it is very hard. <laughs> yeah. Are you just doing it on your own? Or are you doing it? Yeah, really piecemeal. Um, I have a wonderful professor out of the university here who just like likes to help me yeah. and just read through some things. But yeah, so it, but it's I mean it's just such a it's a stunning language it both is. visually and speaking like it's just gorgeous so. yeah yeah and then on top of that you know it, it i well i assume your goal is to just get proficient in it enough to read any old text but exactly. really you want to read homer like that's oh yeah that's you know not to not to everything else is wonderful but it it is it's like a level it's almost like a language inside a language to do the homeric greek stuff because it the the poetry part of it and the 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 dialect part of it and just the big organic mess that that is the Homeric text really uh, you you'll get there just stick with it it's worth and well, it's I've, worth it yeah no I mean we I've definitely been like you know again like just sort of pronouncing out loud and then looking into yeah. each of the words like with Good. sections and yeah. we started with Homer because why Good. not yeah. well especially you know. It, when you're learning those things, it's easiest when you can find a bunch of names because yes. I'm so proficient in Greek mythology and in the varied ways in which they phrase somebody's name. That's interesting. That I can see that. And I, yeah, I get like, you know, I would look at something and immediately be like, oh, that says Atreides. Yeah. They're talking about Agamemnon or Menelaus, you know? And so those are things that I know well enough that it's helped in learning ancient Greek, which is also kind of added fascination to it. Yeah, that's that's a great window in. And, and the other thing is, is I have I've seen certain models of learning ancient Greek that say it's good to start with the Homeric text rather than Attic because it has all the dialects in some way baked into it, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you're basically learning this sea of of endings that, you know, and, and you're going to eventually boil it down maybe to read Attic Greek for for, for whatever purposes. But I think that's it might be a little more complex at first because of some of the weirdness of it, but it's probably in the end gonna gonna get you where you want to go. It, I don't know if about faster, but actually get you there where you want to go. Well, yeah, and since I don't have any goals or anything other than just like I don't want to be looking at it and seeing utter nonsense, you know, it's right. Great. <laughs> other nonsense, yeah, <laughs> gorgeous nonsense, but gorgeous you know, nonsense. it's hard when it's a you know not even the same characters. And I think it's one thing to try to start pronouncing Latin on a whim. But yeah. it's a whole other to be like, well, what are these letters exactly? Yeah, you're like, that's close. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes it looks close and it's not. <laughs> well, you, you can you can find a lot of people getting ridiculed for their knowledge of what looks like something <laughs> or their lack of knowledge of what looks like something, I guess, uh, uh, when they try to do the fake ancient Greek letters of, of oh, things. Oh, yeah, so. that's good stuff. That's yeah. good stuff. Never vowels. They like to get rid of the vowels completely. because Well, they, they, think want- sig- they think sigma's a vowel. That's a big... Well, problem. yeah, and they, the problem is, is so many of the vowels in uppercase look like English. And yep. so if they want to fake Greek, they throw yep. out the ones that are English looking exactly, and then there's no vowels left. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, all the Homer talk leads directly into you. So you started with the Odyssey, which is yeah. obviously something that I love yeah. because I live for the Odyssey specifically. Iliad is great. Don't get me wrong, but the Odyssey is it. So why did you go with that one first? <sighs> um. I went with that one, I think, because 
after I've been thinking about this a lot because I did wait so long to do the Iliad piece and I was terrified of the Iliad for, for mm-hmm. years of doing it. Uh, uh, I think the Odyssey is sort of more suited for the modern brain for one thing. And it's also, it's a, it's a little bit easier. And I don't mean it's like, I don't mean that as like a pejorative, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, there is some fun in it. <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. twisted fun. It's definitely where, more fun. Yeah. yeah. Like the Iliad is just so heavy and it's there's nothing but heaviness in it it's beautiful and a lot of times it's like a beautiful heaviness but um and also like because of the way i wanted to write i guess or it turned out that i wanted to sort of write in this first person song idiom i found it much easier to get into the first person uh mindset of the characters in the odyssey than the iliad i didn't know what to do uh with you know warriors on a battlefield for instance mm-hmm. like i don't have that point of reference uh but i do know what to do with a kid going off into the world who's unsure about himself or i know what to do with a mother that's dealing with that and also you know uh the, the absence of of rosman and i know what to do with a guy out there trying to get to his identity or his home so i found it just much easier to slide into the characters i think and also when i was writing about it it was right around the time of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and there were mm. uh, there was a great stage adapt, uh, adaptation of it here in Chicago around that time by a wonderful director named Mary Zimmerman, who's done a bunch of great classical uh, pieces. And so I saw it represented in these beautiful sort of modern uh, modern ways, and I thought, you know, that that seems like I can take that on. It's more approachable, and I loved it, just like you. I, it was my first sort of like. Oh, holy shit. This is like, this is a perfect story. It's, it's absolutely perfect, both in the way it's told and, and, um, and what it's about and, and all these things. So, uh, that's what, that was why the Odyssey first. Yeah. I mean, agree entirely. That's the thing with, I mean, the Odyssey, I just find to be so fascinating, but it's exciting and there's always something going on and all the, you know, the, the characters and all of that. And as much as, there's so many problems. Like people like to bug me about my love for Odysseus. No, um, you know what? You and I we, we don't. Um, uh, <laughs> you should tell him. To, you should tell him to go look in the mirror and see a little Odysseus in all of them. I think that's the problem. I really do. I've thought about this a lot. What's interesting to me about him is not right or wrong for the most part. It's it's humanity. Like it's 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 the 360 degree parts of him. Some of which are terrible. Some of which certainly to like the ancient audiences that we think of as being sort of in the dark corners would have actually been commendable. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think the ancient audience would have had a problem with him killing the suitors and probably not even the slave girls. Like that was, that's what they deserved (laughs) to an ancient audience, you know? So now we're going to get hate mail about that. But um, (laughs) Well, I do think if the audience had more women, they probably wouldn't have agreed that the, all the enslaved girls deserved yeah, no, it. That, they really didn't. That one, that's but I tough. mean, I agree with you with the audience. Like the I thing, don't- I, The, the yeah. thing I'll say about that, because you're exactly right to push back on that, because there's, <laughs> there's definitely a distinction between the suitors and, and them, for sure. For you sure. Know, and there's you know. a few women who you can see are named, called out yes. as like being deeply complicit with the yes. suitors. You still have to like deal with the fact that they were enslaved. They didn't have a so choice, kind right. of, Ex- Exactly. Yeah. But then there are lots of them that are not complicit at all, and you're like, well, Odysseus, did you really have to kill all of yeah, them in yeah, such a horrific way? Yeah, right. Well, you get, he has to get to 12 somehow, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've actually wondered, this is one of these things where I've thought about these stories, you know, for years and decades now. And I just realized like within this month that Achilles sacrifices 12 Trojan boys on Patroclus's pyre and mm. Odysseus, really Telemachus kills 12 slave girls like that 12. Mm. And I, I was thinking about why does he have, why does he get to 12? Like, why does Odysseus get, I wonder if that is a, a 
distinct line to, to what Achilles does in the Iliad. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. that's the kind of speculation that we just throw up against the wall and say, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. The, my brain immediately went to, okay, there's 12 Olympians. Yeah, so right. So what's there? Like, yeah, what's, what's that connection? <laughs> you know how to play the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the level I live in this world, yeah. but like the things that can yeah. come to me on a, on a whim at this point, it's the best. The other thing about the, the slave girls, which I think is, is, and I love that, especially Emily Wilson's translation, mm. uh, like, brought this the discussion is happening now because i don't know if i'm sure it wasn't happening when i read it which is not that long ago but but long ago um mm-hmm. you know for the first time uh well, i mean yeah even in university for me it was like yeah. 12 years ago now yeah. the difference is huge yeah, the difference is yeah. huge and, and, and important and great the, because mm-hmm. what it forced me to do was when i when i when we i started thinking about that i noticed things in the text like when penelope and odysseus meet uh in the interview scene when he's disguised she mentions the betrayal of the slave girls before anything else when she's talking to him. And uh, his nurse brings that up. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he tells Telemachus, Telemachus to go kill them, he doesn't say, do it like as grotesquely and as uncleanly and as, and as you know, on top of the fact that it's a death, like really, really terrible. You know, mm-hmm. Telemachus is like, I think I'm just going to take the lead here and, <laughs> and hang. Them. Like it's a team effort, is, I guess, is, was. And it took me a long time to notice that, that there's a mm-hmm. there's something going on in the text with those with those slave girls. And it's not just about Odysseus. It's about this society. It's about like the household. And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, at least I do. Um no, I do think it's interesting because, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating and dark to think about how they would have viewed the people, not in their employ, but like yeah. in their possession yeah, exactly. and like the level of required, um, like allegiance to the Def- family. Deference, right. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And like Telemachus, I think also has his own issues in terms of the level <laughs> yes. of what he's willing to do because yeah. yeah i mean like you could have killed them without yeah. it being the most horrific thing yes. you could possibly imagine well but it but it's very much like i think that's a perfect example like it's what does it say about his character that he does that well he's mm-hmm. desperate to to he's desperate for his dad's approval <laughs> now that mm-hmm. he's back and he's gonna oh, sh- yeah. he hasn't had a chance to fight a, a real battle so he's gonna he's gonna give 120 percent to this task he's been giving and, and unfortunately it's uh it's terrible so yeah uh, so I, I, I love that discussion. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Telemachus, I think, is a fascinating character in general. Yeah. Because like from the start, yes. he is so many things, you know, he's like kind of weaselly. He's very <laughs> whiny, but yeah. he's also trying to prove himself. But yeah. he's mostly like complaining about his mom. Yep. Like, you know, he, he's he's definitely he's a fascinating character. And then for that to be his the sort of like the last thing, the last major role he plays is interesting yeah he's and it's a real like again this this crosses over into what what we talked about before like how beautifully he's rendered in the story and how uh, like the psychology of how the text portrays him is so accessible but also like complex and like on first blush you know it's it's awesome that when you read this in college you're basically the same age as him you know or, or mm. even in high school like for, for like i i perform for a lot of you know high school english classes or freshmen and Telemachus is an awesome character for them it's like they get him immediately because <laughs> they're mm-hmm. going through all this because he's a teenager because he's a teenager right and i love that you know when athena appears to him for the first time i think like the first three things she says to him are hey you did a really good job with that zinnia 
which is kind of amazing that he is has never had a model for it and he's good mm-hmm. at it. Like that's a really that's a nice sure. thing about him. Nobody's ever shown him how to do it, right? He's watched these suitors do the exact opposite and he still does a good job, right? Mm-hmm. And then she says something like, I knew your dad and you look exactly like him. You have to be his son. And like that's like a heartbreaking, beautiful thing to say to this 20-year-old that's never met his father. Like that's all he wants to know, right? Is like mm-hmm was he really my dad and and is he alive you know and then she basically gives him the confidence to go out into the world and start to to move beyond the weaselly you know adolescent you know and and he's 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 just an awesome character i i think it's i think it's a it's a it's a beautiful job that's done with him i i just think even i haven't thought this deeply into the odyssey in a while and it's so nice cuz it's just reminds you how much like it's just such a fascinating and well plotted wet like the characters are perfect they're so complex and in depth and it just i think for me and why it's my favorite and it will be because this is sort of it's the thing that opened my eyes to the complexity that exists in ancient greek literature right like you read the myths but you read them in retellings when you're younger or certainly i did and the retellings are always weird and slightly (laughs) troubling and you know but then as soon as you actually get to read like an original text which for most people i would say starts with homer yeah you're just it's like completely mind-boggling to think that this intensely like personal human universal eternal and sophisticated yeah yeah well plotted the characters are so drawn out and they're so intense and they're flawed you know it i mean and that that leads directly into the iliad too where they're so deeply flawed you still love them all but the idea that all of these things came out of an oral tradition (laughs) like not just written you know in 700 bc or 800 whenever like stretching back hundreds of years before that right exactly and told through yeah and told over and over and changed and and you know adjusted for the times and what was going on all the different things you think about what could have come out of them and then for them to eventually be you know written down in in this way and anyway they're perfect and i just want to talk about them all the time well they're perfect in a in a very different way from the way we use the word perfect with art yeah perfect literature yeah perfect literature not like perfect characters or stories right right but but they're also like i i love the way you, you laid that out because it's really poignant and it's really moving to think that hundreds if not more years of humans created it through this tradition it wasn't most people think it wasn't one person, <laughs> you know, and even if it was one person, that that one person was certainly the the, the last train car in, in you know, exactly. this, this, this in, in long tradition and was yeah. harvesting, you know, these hundred years of, of ideas. Uh, I mean, he was the editor. He was, yeah, the, <laughs> the stitcher, compiler, the stitcher, right? Yeah, the yeah. rhapsode, right? It, it, um, I think that's like, that's the feeling I got reading it was it, it, you feel very connected to humanity because you're just sort of waiting around in, in exactly what you described. And, and it's, it's, I think moving, that's like, that's what classics has done d- does to me in general is I just feel really moved and connected to humanity sort of without judgment, I guess, uh, which is maybe a privilege, but you know, you can add the judgment later. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's fine. Uh, but it's, that's, 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 that's it in a nutshell. Well, and I think uh, judgment, you know, can come in, 
whatever way like obviously I come at it with judgment that's my whole brand but it's judgment based well it's judgment based entirely in a reverence for this right it's like like I I think it's important to to look at these stories and appreciate them for what they were and then to maybe look at why they might require some judgment like I'm not just judging them on the basis of like problematizing everything I'm judging them based based on historical things right right like you know why certainly the women are treated in one way in homer and why was that not like because homer was a shitty misogynist (laughs) but because of like what existed around him and that's what makes it interesting well and also like look none of us come to it without judgment like to say you know to to acknowledge the 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 lens is the is is great like but but there's a um or i should say not but uh and uh, th- it can absorb all these different ways of attacking it. It, it can be mm-hmm. all of them uh, at the same time. That's that's the, the beauty of it. It's really, it's it's a really awesome thing. And and I think like now there's, luckily for us now there's more and more perspectives available, you know, and to 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 see it through. And the more you can gather, the more complete picture you're going to get. Like that's true of everything. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just in relation to all of that, when you yeah. are so the the pieces that you turn into songs and everything are yeah. those your own translations, and are you making like changes, or are they more of like a literal translation, but you know, to make a song? Yeah. Uh, so the the uh, the pieces are a little different. The Odyssey one, the first one I did, they're both more like songs inspired by the episodes and language of. So I'm mm-hmm. certainly mining especially the uh, the imagery the homeric imagery because that's you're not going to beat homeric imagery if you're writing no. songs like evocative you might as well just steal every picture that is in the text mm-hmm. um so they're more like these little bits and songs where uh, i'm trying to write it in a little bit more of like a modern idiom because i want to have my cake and eat it too i want the audience to both see the source material or get a sense of it but also relate to it in a contemporary way. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in how do we generate songs or how do we tell these stories in song in a way that we can create a parallel experience for our modern audience to the original audiences. And if I sang the text to them, because some people do that and it's incredible. Like there's people that do more like recitation or or like sort of setting, uh, using the text as like a, um, I'm forgetting the word in opera, whatever the, the, Mm. the, the lyrics are in opera. Uh, but to me, like, I want the audience to feel through like a modern song, the emotions that the characters are going through in the story. I want them to feel a mother who is having to let go of, of her child, worried about her child. And then I want them to know that it's Penelope, but I want them Mm -hmm. to get to that universal experience first and then sort of add back in the classical part, because I feel like they're, they're challenging stories to get to that. Sometimes there's a lot of weird things that happen. Per, per, you know, particular things that get in the way of connecting to the human experience. And you have, I, I love the idea of let's ask what are human, what's human about these characters first, and then let's do the lens of like, why is this happening? And why is this happening? And what like particular Greek or, you know, bronze age or whatever is happening in there. Um, so this, the, the, the lyrics are inspired certainly by the text I used on the Odyssey. Like I basically did almost like a comparative translation study where I had five translations and the Greek and I just blasted through all of them sort of jumping between them till I found a part of an episode like a little nugget or like a little space to write into or some moment that I thought this can be expanded into 
a two minute song or a three minute song. And it's not hard. Like there's, <laughs> there's a gajillion of them. There's probably, there's too many clearly. Uh, and I came up with 24 of those for the Odyssey performance. It's about 35, 37 minutes or so. And then the, the Iliad songs, I wrote them a lot later, but I had this experience of already performing this Odyssey piece already 250 sometimes at that point. So I wrote them a little more conventionally in terms of like they're these little three minute folk tunes or blues tunes or, or pop, you know, folk pop tunes, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there, uh, there I also used a lot more. I interviewed veterans. I interviewed, I read a lot more sort of war literature on top of the, the Iliad text because I was really intimidated by the whole world <laughs> of, mm-hmm. it, of it. So they're, um, they certainly like, I, I, they acknowledge the text and they use the text as a, as a, as a tool or as an inspiration, or even sometimes just like, let's lift this image of an ember buried in the ashes. Cause are you really going to beat that? Uh, no. Um, but they're not, they're not literal translations. It's definitely, I'm trying to do a little meta, like have my, have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> um, with that. I think that, I mean, that's so, it's so much more suiting for the Iliad, I would say too, especially yeah. like, I, I totally also get the, the evolution of yourself yeah. in what you're doing. Um, like identify with that in a major way. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, oh my gosh. Don't even get me started on my early episodes of this podcast. May, may it never stop. As I said, like, if, you're <laughs> yeah. always, if you're not always looking back a little askance at your old work, that means you're not trying to do it better. So yeah, no, it's so true. Uh, but yeah, but the idea of, you know, like, I don't think that the Iliad would lend itself to a more literal, yeah. like that's the thing about the Odyssey and what I think makes them both so fascinating is how different they are, yes. like how yes. vastly yes. different yeah. they are. Yeah. Because the Odyssey is perfect for like a, you know, yeah, like a 40 minute song. That's it's, amazing. It's very modern. I mean, I know that word gets tossed around and it, like it can mean a lot of things. But I remember, you know, this maybe goes back to your first question. Like I just read the Odyssey and I was like, was this written yesterday? Like, what the heck? Like it mm-hmm. has everything. It's got a flashbacks. It's got like sort of meta commentary on itself. It's got like, you know, action adventure. It's got a sequel baked in. It's like, you know, it's like what? Like, and the Iliad is... It's just, it feels older. It feels mm-hmm. a messier. I'm not sure it is. It just feels that like, I'm not sure like when you sit down and look at it, that it's, but I, I get, the, I got that impression too. And maybe, maybe you yeah. did as well. Like it just, and it feels just heavier when you get inside of it. It's oh, it's yeah. so heavy and you just, your heart just sags when you, in, in a good way. <laughs> I don't want to turn <laughs> anybody off from reading it. No, no, <laughs> the Iliad's incredible, yeah. but yeah, it's, it is heavy. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you're actually right. I've never, I never thought about it like quite that way. But it, these little, you know, it that it, that is a strength in trying to tell that the Iliad a little bit more so than the Odyssey. The Odyssey will sit a little more conventionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even just like thinking of, I feel like this is just turning into a full discussion of comparative Homer, which is great. <laughs> um, but I like thinking of the plot structure and the plot yeah. devices used in the Odyssey versus the Iliad is fascinating and not something I've done super explicitly. But like like you're saying with the Odyssey, and the flashbacks and the storytelling, yeah. because, you know, you start with Telemachus dealing with all of that, jump to Calypso's Island, yeah. escape from then we're nine years in escape yeah. from Calypso's Island. And then it's OK, what happened in the past nine yeah, years? Right. And that alone, that's just so fascinating because it is there's so many really like complex plot structures being utilized and then in the Iliad it's like okay we're nine years into this war (laughs) this is what happens if this is happening in a very short amount of time for how long the war is it's just like bang 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 epic dark heavy and sad and just all in one time's so weird with the Iliad too because uh you know 
I think the actual plot takes place over 52 days in the Iliad or 53. But really, like, I think most of the text is like four days or maybe even less, maybe like Mm. three. And it's, it's time. And I think the Odyssey technically is fewer days. Like it's, it's, I think it's 40 some or something, But, but it doesn't like, you don't even, I mean, I don't even think about time in either one of those to your point. Like, it's almost like time is just distorted. It's time, Mm -hmm. you know, it, uh, and I love that, uh, something that occurred to me when you said that about the Odyssey. So when he gets to the Phaeacians, the bard, there, Demodocus is singing about something that happened even before Odysseus started right. to go home, right? It's like, how did they do it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I forgot about that bit. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, and, and that's, you know, maybe it, that's the, the little button on it is. I've read that poem, those poems, I can't tell you how many times between yeah, doing the, in, at school and then doing the writing of it. And then I try to try to read them like once a year or so just because I know I'm going to be in front of people talking about them. Mm. Um, and like, Every time I'm like, how did I not see this the first 40? Like, what is this really here? Like, this mm-hmm. is, and it it will keep happening for you. Like, it never stops. You know, your book where you make notes, if you do that, like, it'll just keep filling up with other stuff you see. It's like, it's amazing. I have my copy from university with my notes, and I've been meaning to go back and reread that. <laughs> That'd and be see, fascinating. Right? It just like, yeah, where I was coming at it from then. Whereas, you know, specifically with the Odyssey, like I read Emily Wilson's for the book or for the um, podcast, but I you did when Butler, I read, you did Samuel Butler, right? I, for, that's no, that's one that I read like recited. Yeah, yes. that was awesome though. But like that, like that was one that I had not used, like, and I never read mm. it. And I was like, there's no reason to, except for that. For me, it's public domain. Public domain, <laughs> but isn't that fascinating? And like, there's a totally different rhythm to that translation than mm-hmm. anything out there. Like, it's it's so wacky and beautiful and in its own, its own little way. Um, oh yeah. That's like one of the best things I ever started doing. And that was fully because of the pandemic is I just started reading them. And I, I thought that was so cool. It was really, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm glad fun. to hear that. Cause I loved it. I yeah. was like, I don't even know if you guys are w- listening to this or really like it, but like I'm living for just reading it. And the Odyssey was fascinating because the Iliad, I actually had to like the, the episode lengths from mm. reading just a book. Yeah. Too long. Spanned. It, no, it was like between, it varied too much or a lot. Huh. It would be like some would be 20 minutes and some would be 45 to an hour. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because that's, well, what are they? Like books in the Iliad are like anywhere from like maybe 600 to 800 lines or 900, six to nine. I guess maybe it does make sense they would vary that much. But but it, it felt huge. Whereas the Odyssey, almost all of them are like a, just as tight 30 to 40 the, minutes. They're yeah. like exactly my episode length. It's perfect. like, I mean, it, which is of course perfect because the Odyssey is my favorite. And yeah. it was just like, yeah. gosh, what, what a life. But the, but you know what that and this is probably I mean that makes total sense with the stories to me you know like the mm-hmm. Odyssey is just this like clipping 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 along like perfect the Iliad is like this unwieldy like lumbering you know like oh we're for- oh no now it's gonna take us long like it that makes com- you know complete sense to me that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah and I just think about like how they would have approached it back then too and the oral tradition of it and like- yes. How long how were was, performances and how, yeah. like, like we Where tend to- Where did they to, stop it? And, yeah, we're oh. right. How often were they interrupted by somebody else and they had to stop it? And like, it, it yeah, you get chills. Mm-hmm. At least I mm-hmm. do. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to the Iliad then, like, obviously you're saying you, you know, played around with it a lot more as I yeah. think you should because mm-hmm. the Iliad's such an interest. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to imagine necessarily coming at it more literally because it is just so- it's just so many things. Yes. Like I don't I don't want to pick a word even to describe it because it just it totally depends where you're coming at it and how you're coming at it. 
Um, so when it comes to that, so it's called the Blues of Achilles. So yes. does it feature? Is it mostly Achilles, or did you sort of expand? What's the story there? Yeah. Uh, it so the Odyssey piece uh, I had done is is heavily Odysseus, Penelope, and Telemachus, and really it's sort of heavily Odysseus. Like yeah. uh, each each one of the other those two characters gets a couple songs. Uh, I have a couple ancillary characters that get songs more to suit my like sort of intellectual take on it. So like Demodocus gets a song and mm. um, I'm trying to think uh, who who else gets, you know, Athena gets a couple songs, even though I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as interested for the purpose of these songs with the gods. I think they're fascinating, but they don't sort of, if you're trying to talk about what's human about a poem, you, the gods mm. sort of have to go off to the side for a second. I know there's arguments that they're the most human of, the, the things in the story but i just i feel like as soon as you introduce them to people they stop believing in sort of the human emotion because they're more a little distracted by the fantastical stuff and and it's, well and in, in the odyssey they're a little more like they're a little ancillary yeah honestly. much like, much more much more. yeah, yeah they're at the beginning and then there's a little in the middle and then there's a little at the end yeah there's and, yeah. there's like a little deus ex machina like a little yeah. bit of you know, Athena pulling some strings. Yeah, right, right. But, but it's really just her. And then, you know, a couple yeah. little scenes up there with Zeus saying, fine, now we can mm-hmm. do it. You're okay. It's okay y- that yeah. you do this thing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, in, in the Iliad, they're like, let's get out in the battlefield and <laughs> and get this thing moving, right? Mm-hmm. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. 
Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. So um, with the Iliad, I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I, I knew, I figured, I, I knew I wanted to incorporate uh, other voices. And I had this thought of like, I really want to make sure I incorporate as many female voices as possible because my impression was that they female characters don't have as much to say in the Iliad as they do in the Odyssey. I don't know. I don't think that's actually true in some weird little way after having gone hmm. through this. Um, and and I'll, I think that'll, I'll tell you why as I, as I talk yeah, about please. writing it. So out of the 17 songs I have, uh, I think six are Achilles songs. And then there is one song each for um, Hector, Priam, Agamemnon, Patroclus. And then the female characters are um, Helen, Thetis, uh, Andromache, Hecuba, Briseis and Chryseis. So there's one mm. more female character that has a song than male character. Although Achilles, as he probably should, gets like five, I think, five or six songs. So fair. He's uh, got a lot to say. He does. Maybe a little too much. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I found myself so much. I mean, I'm fascinated with Achilles because he's like, he's fascinating, clearly. But I was found myself so much more interested with how his pain and grief and anger impacts like this orbit of grief and pain and anger that's around him of like everybody mm -hmm. and like so writing the songs for those characters to me was was really engaging and i don't want to say fun but like challenging in a great way and you look and you know how do you write a song for chrysaeus who doesn't have a single line of she doesn't say anything in the whole poem oh my god and she's course. like the mo and she's the 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 thing that kicks it off we, we yeah, couldn't have the catalyst. story without her right yeah. yeah that's the word i was looking for you know i mean briseis i think says two lines a couple lines you know she mourns like when she comes back to agamemnon or to achilles and and the, he's just discovered that patroclus has, has died right and she sort of says patroclus treated me great and like she sort of starts mourning for achilles because they sort of know he's going to die, right? Mm -hmm. So she's got a couple more things she says, but like these characters don't say a lot. So how do you write words for them first person? You know, you have a lot of freedom. That's one thing. And if you believe, like you said, that these are sort of elastic myths and, you you know, there's a definitive version sort of, but the tradition allows you to put in, find an emotional perspective and, and write mm -hmm. it and, you know, and, and defend it, you know? Um, so that's what I was able to do with them. I was really surprised when I, I realized I'd forgotten that, you know, the end of the poem is essentially three women lamenting, you know, that they get the last word for, for in some sense. Uh, so I, I, and then, you know, Helen has like quite a bit to say actually, and mm -hmm. she's a fascinating character. Every bit as fascinating as any other character. Like, Talk about like sort of weirdly self-aware and like, I don't know what's going on with her, but it's mysterious. And like to write a song from her point of view is awesome because you just have, you you can do anything with her. Like she's, she's an amazing character. So I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to find that there was more like more substance there than I thought there was. And then there was even more room for me to go in and, 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 and try to speak and, and say things, you know, for them or, or that I didn't think they had said in the text. Yeah. Mm hmm. I the I find the I mean, the Trojan 
everything in the <laughs> Iliad so fascinating because, yeah. you know, this is ostensibly a story about the Greeks. Right. It right. is like all about their heroes and their people and their origins and all of these things. And yet absolutely the best <laughs> most and compelling. Most, yeah. Yeah, most compelling, most sympathetic, like yeah. the ones you're rooting for yeah. are the Trojans by and large. And then when it comes to picking out like objectively the best people mm -hmm. in terms of like overall character, mm -hmm. They're Trojans. Yeah, you maybe, know? maybe like I, with the exception of Patroclus, but yeah. But sure. Yes. Yeah, but. but he's he's still a little... I, I mean, I would certainly argue Hector is over him, over mm. Mm. Patroclus in, in that way. But it's just such... Yeah, it's a Certainly of what's in the text, this. yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, just on book six alone, you know, that's sort of, the, you know, the saying goodbye. Um, that was one of the things that we read, uh, one of the excerpts when I when we did Homer for the first time in Greek was we read most of book six or a big chunk mm -hmm. of book six. And like, that's a scene that just the first time you read it, you never forget how the interaction between him and, and Andromache and, and the kid, you're just like, it, it blows your mind. Like the first time you read it, it's so beautiful and it's perfect in every portrayal and every, uh, you know, uh, emotionally and, and what it says about the characters and what it says about the story and how it, just immediately evokes what's going to happen to these characters. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Those like specifically Hector and Andromache yeah. are just, it's beautiful, such compelling characters. And then I just think about the Greeks and yes, like Patroclus, which is how I pronounce it, even though I'm probably not right, but I'm, I can't say I, it otherwise. I, I screw that up all the time. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's right or wrong. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to sound weird if I try otherwise. But basically, he, like, I think he is so, so compelling. But at the same time, I don't know. I find I, I have to weigh how, how, how I feel about him versus how I feel about the song of Achilles. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and, and like, what, whether I'm coming at him more objectively or just because I like that book a lot. Yeah. You, know, you mean, you mean like that's like giving you something that's not necessarily in the text that you're rom yeah. romantic. You know what? The, I, I, I take that. That's a very, that's a nice, I like that perspective. I will <laughs> say that like, uh, I don't know if you've read the book Achilles in Vietnam. No, but I've heard of yeah, it. That, that, list, you, yeah. You sh yeah. It, it's, it's worth it. Uh, because mm. it, it lays out in the text, all these little hints about how the Greeks thought of Patroclus, like, mm. and you're not making it up. Like, <laughs> he is. He is. There's a lot of stuff in the text that would lead us to believe that he is indeed very special, and you know, separate from the Song of Achilles, which is wonderful. Um, so, I would con I would continue to go that direction with your Patroclus mm -hmm. love, but well, um, I mean, I certainly do. It's more just an interesting thing, and and when I cut like not obviously not when I read the Butler translation on the on the uh, podcast but when I covered the episodes yeah. on in my narrative episodes I had yeah. just finished Song of Achilles yeah so it was I know it was so influenced by that which is interesting um but I mean and certainly he's an incredible character and I think I just I have developed this love for Hector over time <laughs> because he just is so thrown into this in a way that no one else really is where he's just like, well, I guess I just have to defend like every single thing about my homeland and my he's, people. Even he's the only thing. He's the only thing. He's the one. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, 
he was a he was an interesting guy to write from for sure mm-hmm. you know he's 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 they're all complex like that's the thing mm-hmm. is it, they're all complex and you know the song of achilles was really important because i think she does exactly like what i was talking about where she goes in and finds these finds these little unexplained moments or mm-hmm. you know things that you you know and does just like such a beautiful job with it it's and that's the way that it's supposed to work with these stories you're supposed to get in to one version and then turn it into another version and then somebody's supposed to do that with your version like it's very mm-hmm. it's the more versions the better as many as possible you know that's what the myth is is the the sum of the versions you know that's what it i think at least what it should be I agree. And I, that's certainly always my intention when I'm researching these days is to find all the little variations. And, yeah. and I just like to think about how, how and why they varied, you know, yes. and then things like that. Cause I think it's so fascinating, but it's such an interesting thing because I think that that is, I don't want to say it's a minority view. Um, mm. but there are just so many people who s- seem to believe that these are like untouchable yeah yeah, that that they are perfect in a way that deserves reverence and absolutely no criticism and absolutely no adjustments it's a fascinating thing just even being in that world and and listening to that well i don't really listen to it often but it often comes screaming at me at twitter on twitter but (laughs) otherwise you know it's just such an yeah it's a fascinating thing because i think that that's objectively incorrect yes that's i i I have nothing to add i think you're right and you know again send your hate mail to whatever um, yeah, it, it I don't doesn't... get that here. All my listeners are great. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Not all the people on Twitter, but all your listeners. Exactly. No, no. Twitter is where the darkness comes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, and when it comes to all of these things and like the sort of transformative nature of these stories and the myths. So when it came to the Iliad, I'm curious, because you focus so many stories on the Trojan women, yeah. did you consult with like perhaps the Trojan women at all, like the Euripides play? Um, I definitely was a- aware of some of that. And I guess what's interesting is I, you know, I think uh, I've, I've performed it. I've done the Blues of Achilles actually only one time in person because I mm. launched it in March of 2020. <laughs> so um, you do the math, right? So I've done most of these performances virtually, which have been which have been great because I've been able to perform places that maybe couldn't have otherwise, you know, flown me out or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had audience members see parts of the tragedies, including the Trojan women, in what I've written, and sort of say like, "Were you thinking of this there?" And I'm sort of like, "Sure, I was." Thinking. <laughs> but it's funny how you you find yourself arriving at similar. Um, in you know f- seeing similar things to the people that clearly were using some of the same sources you were you know you you and that's very i guess like i don't want to say humbling but it's it's reassuring to me like when i mm-hmm. come up with something and then i see it that it's either in one of the one of the plays one of the commentaries a modern piece and i know that it just was something i saw um i i love those moments it's like it's 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 reaffirming it's and, and you know usually your thing has a little twist on it it's not like you you found exactly the same thing but i didn't i didn't i certainly didn't mine uh like the the tragedies in the same way i did say commentary in the iliad or or really like you know i read i used like all quiet on the western front and slaughterhouse five and a lot of i I was really interested in trying to find a vocabulary just around the experience of war that i could that would help me understand what was going on in the setting of the iliad that's a it's really Mm -hmm. alien it's really hard it's really on top of it being about ancient warfare, just like warfare in general, like what I've never, I don't know what this is about. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I, 
it's it's strange and 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 uncomfortable and as it should be you know mm-hmm. i like the idea of reading vonnegut to get to yeah that things that, in the iliad that book is slaughterhouse five is so the thing i took from that too is he he does so much in slaughterhouse five with with the distortion of time in war mm-hmm. and 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 trauma basically and i thought like what I said about the Iliad, which is I had to actually go back and figure out how long the Iliad was because I'd never mm. sat down and figured it out how many days it covers. And once I got, you know, read it was 53, I was like, that's crazy. I never would have thought it was 53. But like there's some of that distortion of time that's clearly happening in the text of the Iliad as well. And whether that's like sometimes it'll just say and then there was a 12 day feast <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? That's just half line of poetry. And then there'll be, you know. 2000 lines on, 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 on one little five minute battle, you know, or, or what have you. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And trying to track all of that is fascinating because yeah. it really is so, so varied. And I always, I, I wonder about things like the thing that's been keeping me up lately is <laughs> thinking about sacrificing hecatombs Oh yeah, because it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just been considering like, do we think that they actually like on the regular sacrificed like a hecatomb of anything? It's a because lot of stuff. So many yeah, animals. I know. I know. <laughs> that's a really good, you know, I, that's really funny. Just like think about the logistics of it, right? Yeah, like, like how long would that take? And therefore how many days are you tacking on because they sacrificed like 12 hecatombs to yeah. the gods or how, whatever? How many, how many, how many is in a hecatomb? A hundred. A hundred. I mean, I guess when you're trying to feed thousands of people. <laughs> Still, That's, I feel like they do it on the regular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little too often for them. Well, and I think like sure, trying to feed them, yes, but where do they find that where do many they find twelve hundred cows? Like yeah, plains right. of Troy. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I guess that's like that could just be a function of formula and epic, or you know, oh like, yeah, no. like I, said, I, I definitely think it's a huge part. It's a formula you know, of epic. Fifty yeah. or sixty thousand soldiers need to eat something. <laughs> that's <laughs> but where are you finding all yeah, of them? That's that's a good. It's point. All fascinating. I like to think of bizarre logistics lately, specifically hecatombs. No, I love it. I, I'd never <laughs> thought about that till you brought it up, and now I'm like, that's a lot of cows. And it's just so many. It's a lot and of I just... bones, and it's a lot of everything. Yeah. Blood. Also, I. Th- I think I realized recently it's pronounced hecatomb, which makes sense because it's tomb, mm. but it just feels wrong. No, go with what you got. I'm going to. Regardless, I think like it's, yeah, I read, I had to read it aloud so many times while reciting the Butler translation. Butler. Yeah, sure. That I just kept thinking of it more and more and just like the, the logistics of all of that. Yeah. And I think that's a fascinating thing in general too, because there is such a, I don't know how, you know, how wide the debate is in terms of you know actual academics on whether or not like there was an equivalent war you know mm-hmm. i think there was some kind of war probably and that's pretty well agreed but yeah. like an equivalent in scale is a fascinating thing to I consider mean, i i you you probably from researching are, are more up in this than i am but i remember reading about the the layer of troy that they think is corresponds with about the time of the trojan mm-hmm. war 1180 whatever it is uh in troy 7b or a, i don't remember but i don't remember i remember remember, like my professor (laughs) my professor at school was like yeah you know like you go to troy and you know the great city of great wall troy and you're like like that's it like it's just not it's not very big it's just you know this so you know i guess that's how that's how 
myths get expanded is it gets told over hundreds of years and suddenly nobody's seen it and suddenly it becomes Great Wall Troy. You know, the walls mm-hmm. are like 13 feet tall, you know, or whatever, or whatever it was, you know. Poseidon, that's not very exciting at all. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> that's, that, that's good. I mean, I'm sure somebody's, I'm sure many somebody's have written on, on acatomes and, and the logistics of that. I know, that I sounds like, like dissertation upon dissertation, probably. <laughs> It's just fascinating shit, honestly. Yeah, that's right. But Troy in general, I mean, it's a, and well, in the Iliad and thinking about, you know, the way that the stories would have evolved over time and where they got to where they are, like, yeah. you know, introducing characters and, and, um, you know, the, the people that they wanted to emphasize right. or to make connections to the regions or, cause that's what so right. much of mythology is, right? It's yeah, like, well, right. this changed because somebody wanted to make their region sound more exciting more, like, more, or more, more powerful or more valid or right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to think about that in terms of Theseus all the time because yes. he's such a shit. I don't know what the <laughs> hell that anyone was thinking. And like, but clearly so much of it was about making Athens important. feel impressive and yeah. important. And so, but, but then I think about why they would have chosen all the things that he did. Like, Lord, he was not a great guy. Yeah, but, but you know, you wonder when those were, like you said, when do those work their way into the stories? Did he just mm-hmm. start out as like this? So I, I saw a talk uh, of a scholar from uh, Stanford named Richard Martin, who's super important homerist. And he, I'll probably get the details wrong, but the main detail was that the word hero in, from, the, from, from the ancient Greek comes from the word horus for boundary like boundary mm-hmm. of a city. And so the idea is that, or it's connected to that somehow. So that the idea is that these heroes, the hero was not like a moral judgment the way we use the word hero. It mm-hmm. was literally somebody that helped you firm up the boundaries of your cities. Like it was exactly what you said. You're more important, mm-hmm. more powerful. You want to be associated with these people because they're survivors. They're, they're you know, that's, they, they'll give your city power. They'll give your city prestige. They'll, they'll, they'll help you, uh, to survive, you know, and I, I think that, and then when the other stuff works its way in, you know, who knows? Uh, but I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Well, and it, yeah, and the way that we've like changed the word yeah. now it, it, to, and then the way that that, you know, puts, colors, yeah, 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 it puts a different like whole pressure and story onto these people that that wasn't the intention back then, right. And then, but I always like to specify that when I am, you know, talking about heroes and just like, we think of heroes as yeah. this, but they, they were just. Well, to, to tie it back to your Odysseus like thing, like, look, take Agamemnon, Odysseus and Achilles. Okay. One of them made it home and didn't get killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy won. Barely. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Barely. Yeah. I mean, of those three, you know, yeah. like, like that's, that's his look like he made it home and then he didn't get mm-hmm. killed by somebody like that's i'm gonna hang with that guy like that's <laughs> i know i know that might be controversial but like um it, it's we we have a different we like you said we use the word a little differently um mm-hmm. i think but I, I like this and i guess that goes back to my rant before about you know like i understand why people attach this moral stuff to it and they should that's what stories should do they should provoke discussions but like when we look at the actual stories, I don't feel the need to do that right off the bat. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in um, just the humanity of it. Like, you, you know, and then fine, you know, like everybody get their lens out or whatever. In all seriousness about, because you and I both work sort of in like classics adjacent, not, not classics adjacent because this is all classics. But not academia. Less conventional, yeah. right. Not yeah. academia, exactly. But you know, when I started out early on, there were, I, I was 
my relationship to, to academia, like I knew that what I'd written had some value both, uh, I mean, I knew it had value in terms of getting people into the material, which maybe is, is sort of the way you feel about what you do. Like I want people into the things that I think are exciting and I mm -hmm. want my takes on them to be, it's not scholarship, but I want them to be informed by like intelligence around the issues as much mm -hmm. as possible. So it's, I take a lot of pride in being able to get up in front of a university audience and talk about the stuff in a, in a way that fits in, you know, clearly somebody that got a PhD and is in academia is going to have a, you know, a much deeper knowledge, you hope. Um, but like, because we're having this big debate about the role of classics and who has access to it and, and right, like this stuff is really, really important. You know, it, mm -hmm. it really, really is. And like, when I was an undergrad, we didn't have, this is, I'm going to go yell at some kids to get off my lawn after this, but um, no, we, you know, when I was in college was right when the, the modern internet was sort of starting to rev up a little bit. And mm -hmm. I would have killed for the number of different ways to interact with the material that people have now from yeah. podcast to Twitter, having Emily Wilson on Twitter, just like doing comparative translation and tweets. It's like, that's, I mean, it's commonplace now, but like that was impossible to find. Like you had to get yeah. a book and do the thing or have a professor or whatever it was. I was like this last week, I was up uh, in Alaska performing the Odyssey for the first time in person in 16 months. And I was reading my translation and I saw a word I wanted to look up. And I was able to just go to the text on Perseus Tufts, which is a Tufts mm -hmm. website, mm -hmm. find the word I was looking for and look it up on my phone. And I was like, I mean, I would have had to have two lobes and, 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 a, and, a, and a dictionary and like, it's so amazing the access and the creativity around the material now. Like I said, whether it's podcasting or books or like poems or what, like it's just, it's, we, it should be exciting. People should be into it. Yeah. They should be excited. There should be really smart people. Like it should also be written about in scholarly ways. And like, that's almost like a separate issue, but they theoretically mm -hmm. should all work together. Like people you inspire to get in the material should go and study classics and become mm -hmm. the professors and, you know, who come into one of my performances or, or, or don't, or start their own podcast or like write their own, you know, it, it's that, that's something I've always been, I've always wanted to be an outcome of the work I do around it is just get people excited about it. Like it's, there's yeah. no, there's, there are some wrong ways to do it, but there's no one right way. And there's in fact, there's probably an infinite number of right ways to do it. You know, yeah. like have a, have a book, have a podcast, have a, cool way where you sneak informed perspectives of heroes into some sort of like that's that's what this stuff should be it's 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 awesome you know it, it's so true i mean i went in like 2009 um but i so it's it's so similar even though yeah. it was like you know that started it 12 years ago and but the level of the difference in online access just, like just, sure just we just had like online that. absolutely yeah, yeah. Right, just like but that. it like yeah, podcasts weren't a thing, or if they were, I yeah. had never heard of one. Right, and right. you know, like the level of we had Google, but that sort of <laughs> it was it. Yeah, right. Like right, right. the access so, to the text and everything has just exploded, and things like that. Yeah, and, and images just, but, and the means, the the way you can in, interact with it, the yeah. fact that I have this podcast and yeah. that I have like all of the other things, you know. All, that's still so new, even in recent years. Right. And at the same time, I've now been doing this podcast long enough that I have actually had somebody who <laughs> who sent me a message saying, I forget if it was that they had graduated university or were just like in their second or third year or whatever, but basically said, I still remember the time that my teacher in high school played your show and oh. I first heard it and then I went and now I'm in my classics degree or whatever That's she was telling beautiful. me. 
it was so lovely. It made me feel like I'd been doing this 105 yeah, years yeah. when it really has only been four, but it was like enough that yeah. an undergrad could have, you know, gotten to a certain point having heard my show in That's high great. school. That's it, awesome. it was like wild. Yeah. 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 But I think that is so perfect. And the, yeah, the idea that you can interact with it in this way and then my favorite thing now is is that I have people like you and then also academics yeah. and stuff who are willing to come on my show and and teach more things, yeah, you know, things right. that I wouldn't know or their specialties or just those the extra levels that that are so easily accessible when people are willing to to share yeah. is so incredible. Well, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've had academics, uh, you know, say this like your reach is. <laughs> You can add up a lot of dissertations to get to your, the reach of one of your podcasts. Like, and again, I'm not using dissertation as like a metric, you know, I'm kind of joking, no, like whatever. Cause it's not, they don't have this, they don't serve the same function. You know, dissertations aren't meant to be, but like they, it, if it reaches somebody and gets them into it, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really care. Like it, it, it should be all good. Everybody should be happy with it. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, whether it's me or some other singing bard or like, you know, because there are some other ones who are wonderful or a storyteller like a, like a, um, there's, it's a Canadian, uh, Jeff Wright. Oh. Do you know him at all? Jeff Wright? No. Oh, he does the Odyssey, no, the, need to. Odyssey the podcast. Yeah. And the Trojan oh. War podcast. Maybe you do know. Him oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't know he was Canadian. Yeah. I think is what yeah. threw me there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's like, you know, he, he's another guy who's using a modern, you know, means to, to do kind of an ancient thing, you know, and he does mm-hmm. m- much more of the narrative thing. So it, I think it's exciting. I know, I know there's a lot of downside stuff and there's always downside stuff, but it, I, I, I think the accessibility now, like you said, that's just accelerated maybe in the last five years, you know, mm-hmm. you know certainly gosh, if you go back 20 years, whatever, um, that's going to bear fruit like a little bit later on. It takes, it takes time for that stuff to, to, to work itself. You know, you need people Mm -hmm. to graduate high school and go to college and get out. And, you know, you just hope that there's degrees there for them to get. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, that the discipline is there in some way, a reformed way, I think. Um, yeah. But again, that's controversial too. (laughs) Well, but I also, I think like, I think as long as there's this, you know, still, good people coming at it from the right way yeah. it's going to remain it's yes. just going to remain in the form that it should be yeah, the right, less dangerous right. less yeah. less you know um white supremacist way well, like, right. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's that book like there's a book from the 90s written by an un, unnamed classical scholar named who killed homer which of course now anybody can look up and it's like to think that you could kill Homer is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like it's what, all the nonsense about like the right wing people who are like, "Oh my God, they're canceling classics." What, and you're like, no. "You guys know how long this stuff and what this stuff has <laughs> like, existed through." Like to yeah. think to have the the temerity to think that like it, it like it'll be fine. And I'm and I'm not yeah. saying that to be glib. I'm just like, look at the record of how this stuff has been passed on. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we find more stuff like. In, in, yeah. and, and we find more stuff in other cultures with similar because I'm sure it's there. We just haven't found it yet. Or, well, and and the other cultures just need to be looked at. Yeah, That's all that yeah, really needs or to haven't change. For is it, that, yeah, yeah, we need to not focus so much on Greece and Rome that every like yeah. less you know the cultures with less whiteness right. placed upon yeah. them yep. are completely forgotten. Yeah. That's right. the key to it. Yes, it's just expanding classics That's to exactly mean. Right. Not yeah. Greece and Rome. Yeah, yeah, right. And you know, but it, yeah, Homer's not going anywhere. Plato's no. not going anywhere. Nobody like all can... of it's yeah, <laughs> it's nonsense to suggest that. And it what it is is that it's reactionary. Yeah, right. 
because people feel threatened because their whiteness is threatened. Well, and because like people are in for you and I, for you and me, they're looking at things in different ways and it's change. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's a good thing if you are comfortable with that. And it's a bad mm-hmm. thing if you're not, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, um, I mean, look what, what, what did these stories have to do to get to us in the 21st century? Like, you think we're going to get rid of this stuff? Like, 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 I mean, writing was invented like to, for this, these to come to us. Like, yeah. They're going to be okay. Like, it's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They're going to be, be fine. fine. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 and we'll just understand them better yes. and in more yeah. complex ways. And isn't that awesome? Well, and I hope I, I had this, I was thinking about, cause you know, I have a real soft spot for like philological books that write about the language clearly in Homer, mm. but like, like really what we need is we need more, we need more text. We need more archaeology around this stuff, yeah. right? Like, and it's clearly there. Like, like it's there. But like, maybe in twenty years they find an earlier existing text of it. Could or, you imagine? Yeah, like, right. Yeah, I can for sure. Oh, it's like my heart. I know, like, starts, right? Or what yeah. if what if they find you know like a, a set of vases that have these figures painted a little bit early with some of the early writing? Like, I have a friend who's a professor who does you know, the early writing on vases, because that's really where mm-hmm. the first writing took place, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. what? there's got to be more of that stuff mm-hmm. somewhere that will help us figure out how it went from this oral tradition to, to, to the text. Um, what if they translate linear A and then somebody finds a big old chunk of something that, in that? that? That's exactly right. Because yeah, you know it's there, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, Homer will be fine. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, definitely. and it's, it, you know, it's the, the reason... I like ranting about it. No, uh, it's because part it's of what job, don't worry. part of what going through around and I perform mostly like in colleges and universities is I essentially get like a I get to spend a day in every almost every classics department, not almost every, but hundreds of them, literally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in real time, I get to sort of talk to people who are in the discipline and I'm, you know, it's it's fascinating because it's part of it is wonderful, clearly, like in this meant professors and students and it's also really hard and it's gotten harder and it's probably going to get even harder you know over, over the next couple of years um mm-hmm. but it's still like i think it's also really important to, for it to be something uh, you know to be there as part of this ecosystem and which includes mm-hmm. you which includes me which includes you know madeline miller which includes jeff wright which includes everybody like we're mm-hmm. it's we make the it's it's a weird um it's a weird sort of like I don't know if it's counterintuitive, but like one of the other things I like about the myths is that like we're sort of both the subject and the object of them in some ways. Like they can't exist without us telling them, but yet mm-hmm. not no one of our versions is particularly privileged over one other one. So it's mm-hmm. it's this awesome like sort of symbiotic relationship uh, to me that's again, I keep coming back to the word like really moving. Like if you think about mm-hmm. it, it's just humanity's we're just these sort of vessels for these stories. And, you know, um, so I, there's my rant. <laughs> no, but I agree completely. And I think that's the thing that I love so much about the way I do my show now is, is talking about not only how many versions there are, yeah. but why, or not necessarily why, but just basically telling the people that aren't deep in this world that the versions we have aren't necessarily the only versions no. that existed and i think that's so important yeah, like right, right. the idea that that any one source that we have is the official record on greek yeah, mythology yeah, is yeah. deeply absurd yeah. and and i think that unless you're deep enough in this world you don't realize no, that no, because no. it's not often presented that way well, we live in like a we live in sort of a um a 
a culture of documenting things right and definitive mm-hmm. things and it's like mm-hmm. that's a very very new thing you know like writing is three thousand years old right or maybe older in, in other cultures but this writing the homeric poems right mm-hmm. uh you know photography is less than 200 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> recorded music is a hundred and you know some years old like us taking pictures of your food on your phone is really new <laughs> like I mean, definitive versions didn't exist for so much longer uh, of humanity, you know, and and even then the idea of a definitive version is is stupid anyway, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like that. That it's was just myth. that moment. It, that was just that yeah, moment. You know? It's it's myth. Yeah, it, it, like there's literally there's no definitive version of, of myth. Yeah, period. that's it. You said it. Yeah, it's all there is to it. Oh, we said so it. That's it, we nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, yet they don't listen when I tell them I that know. when they tell me Medusa was evil. Well, yeah, God. well that's a whole other story. Um, I, I mean, okay or not. <laughs> like that's it. It's like okay, there's literally no evidence that she was evil, right. but okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean I that's why clearly. that to 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 try to bring the stories into performances too to me is, you know, there's this illusion of you know, uh when you do a performance even if you're performing the same words and the same music, mm. it only that performance only exists in that moment for the people that you're for whom you're doing it, you know. And mm-hmm. that's that to me is again like it's very poignant and moving to to recreate that experience. I know we have writing now. I know the audience knows that I'm singing songs I wrote, although you could argue that I'm changing them every time. But really, like the myths, the stories, the power in them was that. They, it was just in that telling that they had that meaning for those people. And then the next time you do it, 99.5% of the details might be the same, but probably not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and even then, you know, so. It's game of telephone, but it, it is. nice and yeah, beautiful. But, but nice and beautiful. <laughs> and you're not in, you're not in for, uh, preschool, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that game even really translates over these days i mean you couldn't really do it in covid i guess <laughs> well but i'm even thinking of technologically oh. like telephones they're not really spotty anymore oh, that's a good point yeah oh, i'm so curious it's so interesting just even those the tech things like i was gonna say you're on that. hecatomes and now you're on telephone that's pretty oh good. my gosh right <laughs> gosh no it, it's just so fascinating the way these things though like the the speed with which these things change yeah. like Yes. The idea that people are getting degrees based on my podcast is like a real thrill. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that's the way, you know, that's like, I mean, that's the way it should be. That's, that's yeah. the way, like, that, that is uh, part and parcel with how we got the stuff and how the stuff will get passed on. And it's like, it just needs to be devoured by whatever new uh, technological advancement, you know, and, and the mm-hmm. stories will come out. The stories will live. It doesn't. And they'll live, I think, by people who will look at them in a more, you know, like, again, it's not necessarily that you need to judge them or no. take them apart. They're but provocative, to just be able, Yeah. Yeah. To be able to see beyond the things that the white men of 60 years ago yes. have told you you right. have to see. Like, and just to be able to look beyond well, the traditional understanding of them. And, and to your point about that, like, just get into the text. It's all there. Yeah. It's like yeah, you, to, to be able to, like you said, to draw people to the source like and that's a very uh that's also like a very i don't know what the right word is but like going to the text and looking is the way to do it like that's in some Mm -hmm. you know that's that's the way you're supposed to do it it's so obvious and yet so much has been influenced by By the interpretations yeah for sure exactly and the 
Mm-hmm. And then the That's way that point. those framings up until, you know, so recently yeah. were explicitly mm-hmm. old white men, yep. you know? And so just like expanding that and, and hearing from other people and yeah, it's just a, it's, it's an exciting, an exciting thing and just all around. So, it so is. fascinating. So this is a, a, a little piece of the blues of Achilles and this song is sung from Priam's point of view. Uh, and it is, uh, from book 24, where he goes to Achilles to uh, try to recover Hector's body, which aka the greatest scene in, in literature history. <laughs> and, you know, I make a joke about it. I, I say, if we had just stopped literature after this scene, it, we'd probably still be okay. Um, because I, I think it's maybe, uh, so this song's called hands of grief and it is Priam, uh, uh, in Achilles tent, uh, trying to get Hector back. I'm before you on my knees Kissing the hands of my grief My son was cut down in the fighting And your hands took him from me He was strong as a lion with a full head of hair Now it's cake with dust and rotten But I still see him everywhere If he had listened to my warnings Maybe he'd still be at my side it knew the risk but fought for glory When he fell, part of me died I don't have much more to give To a world that's bled me dry I don't have much life to live Many tears left to cry So think of someone who you love Who might someday be like me Grant mercy to my son's body And put it in my hands of grief Put it in my hands of grief. That's wonderful. Oh my god. Fucking Priam. Thank you. I know he's the Ugh. he's that was my window into this like you were talking about the you know, finding like how do you get into that story and I interviewed a, um, actually a, a gold star father who'd lost his son in Iraq. And uh, I, I mean, I was speaking to Priam, like I might as well. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, like now I'm, 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 I see a little window like into this world that's just human and not like specific, specific in a way. And I'm seeing it in grief. Like I'm seeing in resolution of grief. Uh, and that was one of the first songs I wrote for it. And I thought I, this, this always been my favorite thing ever <laughs> like mm-hmm. as much as i'm an odyssey stand like in terms of the narrative like i've always thought book 24 of the iliad is just like the most jaw-dropping 
thing ever. So um, yeah, that that's Hands of Grief. And, you know, uh, it's a beautiful song and a beautiful story. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. Well, I mean, the perfect piece to put in there. Yeah. Um, well, amazing. So what? where can people <laughs> find more of your work and you in general? Yeah. So uh, you can check me out at both uh, joesodyssey.com and also uh, thebluesofachilles.com. And then there's a sort of a general hub for all the music I do at joegoodkin.com. Uh, I do... I travel in non-pandemic times. I travel around <laughs> doing this, uh, both in, in the U.S. and also sometimes in Canada. And I hope in the fall to go to Europe, actually. Um, I know you're mm. you're going to get out there ahead of me, I think, uh, to Hopefully. Europe. Yeah, well, I'm looking a, a couple months after you. So I'm hoping if you go, then <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping actually to get to play in Athens. Uh, uh. Uh, Athens in Rome and also in, um, in the Netherlands for a conference there. So... I, I do, but I also do these shows on Zoom, and I'll probably will continue to, uh, even though it. I'd like to do it in person, but um, the the reach of doing it in Zoom is clearly pretty cool, and it keeps me working. And uh, thanks a bunch for giving me the opportunity to come on. I, I really, like I said, I really am a fan of what you're doing, and uh, uh, you're. I'm glad we're all in the same boat, rowing the same way for the most part. That's a that's a cool thing. It, it really, yeah. it's really neat to watch it happen. It's very cool. Yeah, I agree entirely. So thank you so much too for coming on. Uh, yeah, it's just been so wonderful. I love I love seeing it from this like very like similar but different perspective of coming at it yeah. from you know songwriting and all of that. It's fascinating. Well, and, and it, you know, again, it's the, the myths are all of this stuff. It's all of it. It's putting mm-hmm. putting putting it all together. Um, so thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Such a fun conversation generally, but that song at the end, oh my God, chills. You can kind of tell how I don't know how to phrase things in moments like that at the end where I'm like, oh my God, that was just so gorgeous. I didn't remotely know how to start a conversation back up after a song like that. I was just kind of sitting in awe and was like, oh, I have to form words now? What are those? (laughs) Anyway, it's just utterly gorgeous. You can listen to to so much more of Joe's work at the websites that he mentioned, all of which are linked in this episode's description. So I really hope you enjoyed it. I mean, how could you not? Thank you all so much. I am Liv and I love this shit. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.